Multi-Men Producer Webinar Series, Cash Flowing Through COVID-19 and Beyond, Part 1 of 5. My name is Dr. Jerry Everybody mute their phone, music. Yes, please mute your phone, sir. Yes, thank you. And um, I am in practice with my wife, Dr. Karen. Um, we're um, Purdue graduates, 1991, been at it for a while. And I do mostly beef cattle. I'm in the number one beef cattle county in Indiana, south central Indiana. Um, and I do do some work into Kentucky. I'm board certified in beef cattle practice through the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners. So kind of been doing beef cattle for a little over 30 years now. Dr. Dusty, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I appreciate it, Derek. Um, my name is Dr. Dustin Davis. Uh, as you can tell, uh, and, and Dr. Havana had already said, I live in southwest Pennsylvania, but this is not a Pennsylvania Dutch accent. Uh, love makes you do some pretty crazy and stupid things sometimes, like move from Georgia to uh, southwest PA. Uh, own a four-vet practice here. Uh, we uh, we service about 20 dairies and uh, uh, several uh, seed stock beef operations and some club cattle operations. Uh, graduated uh, vet school in 2009. Uh, me and uh, along with the other vets here at the clinic, we service about seven counties in southwest Pennsylvania. Uh, I do mostly uh, mostly reproduction work here at the clinic. Everything from IVF to embryo flushing. I'm a certified embryologist. But uh, we do a lot of a lot of herd health work as well. Uh, so, Jerry, do you want to go ahead and get started talking a little bit about uh, immunity and, and some of these kids? Yeah, you know, like Dr. Lawrence uh, was talking, you know, one of the key drivers of profitability when it comes to these calves and how they've been vaccinated when you go to sell them. Or if you're doing, like a lot of my clients do, they do retained ownership, they cattle go out west. So, I think one thing that's really important providing kind of basic understanding uh, of immunity. I know with, you know, this COVID coronavirus outbreak, everybody is getting reports on immunology and epidemiology. So, you know, one thing um, that's really important with these calves is getting colostrum. That's the number one important thing. When those calves hit the ground, that they get a good feeding of colostrum. Because that calf is more it really doesn't have a very good hardly any immunity, it's going to get a lot of it from that colostrum. And there's been study after study showing that calves that don't get good colostrum, that follows them through all the way through their life. A lot of, you know, there are more higher incidents of scours, respiratory disease, and death, and it'll even follow them into the feedlot. Their performance into the feedlot is affected. So that's kind of one thing we can do. But what we're going to really talk about tonight is vaccination. And so this is kind of how we're trying to prepare, for instance, like calves for uh, any kind of exposure from a different pathogen. So basically a vaccine is just, it, it has an antigen, which is just a piece of the virus or bacteria that will stimulate the immune system, and then that will produce antibodies against that, so that when later they're exposed to it, then the body reacts and gives the animal some protection to where they don't get as sick or they don't get sick depending on, you know, how good of a vaccination 
or how good they have responded to vaccine. Now, we do know that there are certain agents that produce better immune response than others. And one of them is Clostridia, the black leg vaccine. That's, a, that's an excellent vaccine. It produces really good protection. You hardly ever will have any problem with that. Um, some vaccines require two doses to be effective. So, you know, sometimes you have to give one and the other. And then another thing, there are things in the vaccine, not only a piece of the virus or bacteria to help stimulate the immune response, but there's something called an adjuvant. And that basically is just something that forms kind of an inflammatory reaction when you give the vaccine in the neck, because we give all our vaccines in the neck now. So it's going to cause a better reaction to where the body will respond better. But at the same time, that's sometimes why we're seeing us, because a lot of times it's the adjuvant that's used in the vaccine, which can cause some issues like that. So with talking about the two, the different types of vaccines, I'm going to jump, let um, Dr. Dusty talk about what types of vaccines and kind of a little bit about the pros and cons of those. All right, well, like what Jerry was talking about, uh, we've got these calves, we've got good immunity in them, but before we wean them, <laughs> we're just trying to challenge them. And the purpose of vaccination is controlled exposure. We want to expose these guys to just enough of whatever the pathogen is, and we want to expose them in such a way to where that we get a response and coverage to our vaccine, but they don't get sick. And, you know, there's a wise man who once said, Though all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. So just because there's a vaccine for something doesn't mean that we should be just running out and grabbing it and sticking these animals with uh, every vaccine under the sun. So we're going to cover a little bit about uh, a little bit later on about handling and, and good vaccine program planning. But when we look at vaccines as a an overall, vaccines can be broken down into killed vaccines and modified live vaccines. So, killed vaccines are, are basically, they're vaccines that are made up of particles, usually of, of the cell wall of the virus or the bacteria that we're looking to vaccinate against to elicit an immune response without any of that virus or bacteria replicating inside of that animal. And as Dr. Jerry already said, blackleg is a perfect example with this, with a killed vaccine. It's very effective. But as he also said, one of the uh, one of the cons associated with black leg is we get some big old knocks on them. Um, also, whenever you're looking at vaccines, one of the best examples of a killed vaccine is rabies, because whenever we look at it, there's no way a killed vaccine could ever become alive and start shedding. And obviously, we would never want rabies to start shedding in patients. One of the one of the pros of a killed vaccine is it's ease of use in a herd setting. You can step into any herd, whether it's dairy, beef, whatever, and it, and immediately start implementing use of a killed vaccine. Also, they are very safe for pregnant cows. There's there's no sort of exposure or vaccine program you got to look at ahead of time to start using them in pregnant cattle. And as I said earlier, there's also no no viral no shedding associated with using a, uh, using a killed vaccine. And one of the other things that, uh, that makes the killed vaccine so nice is 
if properly stored and properly handled, you can get multiple uses out of it. With you know, with everyone who's listening out there, I'm sure if we go to the farm and we open up these refrigerators, we can find bottles of shield vaccine because most of the time, modified live vaccine comes in comes in very thick quantities. And shortly after mixing it, we we have to either use it or dispose of it. Not so with killed vaccine. It is properly handled. It can go for quite a long time. <clears throat> Some of the cons associated, though, with using a killed vaccine is, as we talked about with black leg, anyone who's ever used black leg vaccine has seen some knots. And those knots are a byproduct of oftentimes using a lot of adjuvants, or, or these things that stimulate the immune system to come in and start responding to it. Um, <clears throat> one Another con is these vaccines need to be boosted in order to make a memory response. Um, one of the things oh, that we found is to have limited efficacy against viruses, such as there's no killed vaccine that's out there that has a BVD persistently infected calf guarantee associated with it. <clears throat> Moving on, we look at the other half of what vaccinating animals look like, so modified lives. Our vaccines made from a weakened virus or bacteria that elicit an immune response. And the important part is, is these vaccines replicate inside of the animal that we give them to. One of the one of the the best examples of that of a modified live vaccine is our intranasals. Our intranasal vaccines uh, we we give them most of the time on receiving cattle or looking on whenever calves hit the ground. Um, and that component of it is that, that we want to talk about here is these modified live vaccines can be protected via a single dose and they can get around this maternal antibody block. So as Dr. Jerry had talked about earlier with wanting to get really good colostrum into these things, sometimes that colostrum can be a bad thing when it comes to causing this cat's body to be able to respond. So in order to get around that, we can use an intranasal modified live. And it gives your onset of immunity recovery when using a modified live, you're looking at hours versus weeks, as opposed to a killed vaccine. It takes quite a bit of time. Uh, some of the cons, though, that are associated with using modified lives is they can be unsafe for, for pregnant cattle. And also, when used improperly pre-breeding, it can cause some issues, uh, cause some inflammation in the ovaries and keep them from settling for quite some time. So those are... That's a crash course on immunology on the two main types of vaccines that are used in, in calves and in mature cows. And Dr. Jerry's going to talk to us a little bit about how the best way we can handle these vaccines. Yeah, because, I mean, I think that's one of the things that sometimes as veterinarians we're called in to a situation where there's been, um, a vet, where we, where there's been a vaccination failure. So they have, the owner has vaccinated the animals, but they've had a really bad train, we call it really bad train wreck. And one of the first things that I like to look at, and I know Dr. Dusty, we talked about this, was how those vaccines were handled. So just because you get it in the animal any way you can doesn't mean populating them where you're giving them the vaccine the right amount, the vaccine that's efficacious, and that's going to work. So the first thing is, we always want to look at how you're handling your vaccine. You know, um, where do you get your vaccine? You make sure you get it from a reputable place where they know how to handle vaccines, where it is stored correctly. If it's to be refrigerated, it's to be refrigerated. 
I know in my cooler, I have a thermometer that reads the high and low. And it, and I can look at that so I can make sure that my um, refrigerator is maintaining the proper temperature. And what we see sometimes farms is the refrigerator from the house that wasn't working very well got stuck in the barn, and that's what we use. Well, it may be cold when you open it, but it doesn't mean it always stays cold. It can actually go periods where it's warmer, and the vaccine can uh, actually become either, um, like on some of the vaccines where it won't become efficacious, or on some of the vaccines, freezing or making hot can cause for more reactions when you give the vaccine. So first of all, you want to make sure you buy it from a reputable source, and then you handle it properly as far as on your And that includes the day you're working cattle, too. If you're going to work a big group of cattle, um, obviously you don't mix all the vaccines right when you start. You mix what you can use within an hour or so. That way, if a gate breaks and they get out, and you have to get them back in, you don't have all this vaccine that degenerates very quickly. The modified lives, you need to use it very quickly. You don't want to let it sit. And so that's one thing. And so we also want to make sure that we're protecting the sunlight. And a lot of you, I'm sure, have you buy these coolers that have, like, PVC pipes sticking out of them. You can stick them in there. I've had clients make them themselves, have foam coolers and PVC pipes. And those work really nice. So that kind of protects the vaccine from light source. So that's really good to do. And then making sure you follow be quality assurance, using clean needles, um, and make sure that your syringes, that you're using clean syringes and properly clean syringes. I use warm water or boiling water. No soap, no detergent. No disinfectant of any size, any source. If you put that, if you get that in the syringe, it can leave the residue. And when you pull your vaccine up into that syringe, you can make the vaccine ineffective. And the same with transfer needles. If you are using transfer needles to mix up modified live vaccine, make sure you're cleaning it with oil or something like that. Or sterilize them. I, use, I sterilize them in my autoplay. Do not use any disinfectant. No alcohol, nothing like that. There have been cases of vaccine failure where it's traced to one transfer needle laying in a, a tray of alcohol. They were throwing in a tray of alcohol before. So every time they went and mixed up the bottle, it became a, the alcohol killed the vaccine. Another thing, too, is on your – I always tell my clients, and I know a lot of us do, there's two sides, two next sides to utilize. Spread out your – Spread out your vaccines about a hand width apart, but use both sides of the neck. Um, that way, um, when the vaccine is in inoculated into the animal, those, that vaccine goes to the lymph nodes in the neck. You don't want to side of the neck. You want lymph nodes to where you won't get as good a response to the vaccine. So with that, I'm going to, you know, we, I talked a little bit about, you know, vaccine failure. I'm, Dusty, can you talk a little bit more? You're going to talk a little bit more about some things that can affect the vaccine response. Yeah, I appreciate it, Dr. Jerry. And like what you were talking about, we can take a great, a great vaccine and just by doing a couple of things really inactivate it and make a horrible vaccine out of it. So we're going to talk a little bit. I'm just going to cover just a couple of things that – a couple of common mistakes I see whenever uh, uh, people vaccinate cattle that can affect the response to vaccine. First and foremost, heat stress. Heat stress is huge. Um, 
there there is actually data out there saying if it's over 85 degrees, then you cut down the vaccine response significantly whenever you're running cattle through the shoot. Being born and raised in Georgia, we, we saw this a lot of times whenever just because we have time to do it on a 112-degree day doesn't mean it was the right thing to do that day. Um, and that cow's immune system would do one of two things, and neither one of them are desirable. She's either too busy fighting off the heat stress to respond to the vaccine, or she's so wound up responding to heat stress where she over-responds to the vaccine, and cases of anaphylaxis appear out of the blue in, in these type of situations. Also, where, uh, uh, where I see another issue is on the herd status, it's especially on some of these milk herds where yonis it can be a factor. If, if these cattle's immune system is busy responding to an underlying disease state, they're not going to respond to our vaccine. Uh, also, nutrition. You know, we, we all know that that dairy cow, early on in lactation, if she's putting 180 pounds in the tank, she's doing a lot of other things besides taking her, her carbohydrates, fat, and protein and putting it towards a, a vaccine response. Also, on receiving cattle, uh, you know, research tells us that these cattle aren't even on feed but about 75% after two weeks. So if we're not eating good, we're probably not going to respond to our vaccine good. Um, also, one of the things that I've seen, uh, we, we had a client shortly after I moved here, uh, vaccine overload is just a, a term I'll use. We, where it's basically where it's like, well, Doc, we're running them through the chute. We got them caught. Let's hit them with a little bit of this one, a little bit of the white vaccine, the yellow vaccine, the blue vaccine, the, the orange vaccine, and just for good measure, let's, let's do it on both sides. You know, vaccine overload can be a problem. It's important not to, not to vaccinate with more than two gram-negative bacteria. A time at a time when these cattle are going through the chute. So, red negative bacteria are lepto, E. coli, pink eye, foot rot vaccines. So, those vaccines can be what people call very hot, meaning it takes a it takes a lot of adjuvant, and when the body does respond to it, it can cause some adverse reactions. And anybody who's ever went through a barn. Uh, a Stanton barn with a, a, a killed vaccine in summertime definitely sees it uh, take a hit on the milk tank for about 10 days to two weeks. One other thing that I just wanted to talk to you guys about is factors that affect the vaccine response is mineral status of these cattle. Trace mineral status. Animals that are deficient in selenium or, or copper have zero ability to be able to respond to vaccine. It can be handled the right way and and these cattle could be pushed through in low stress. But if that animal doesn't have proper trace mineral status, it's not going to respond to the vaccine. There's one study where uh, uh, they wondered, uh, they, it was done at University of Georgia. And they ran these calves through the chute and gave them multivitamins at the same time they administered a vaccine. And these calves were not deficient. They were actually on, on rations that were above NRC recommendations. And just by including multi-men at the same time whenever they had them in the chute, they were at 28 days post-initial vaccination, they were able to get 80% of those kids to completely respond to the vaccine, as opposed to about half of the other group who didn't get multi-men at the same time responded to the vaccine.
So just by increasing that trace mineral status and putting more fuel in the tank for that that cat's body to be able to respond to the vaccine, it was able to increase the the uh, zero conversion on So they were able to make more antibodies. Now, Dr. Jerry and I have covered a good bit, and Dr. Jerry's going to cover just a, a couple more things here before we take take some questions. Uh, Dr. Jerry, you want to talk to him about what's the best way to work out a vaccine program? Yeah, I, I do want to speak to one thing I spoke about, the last point about using an injectable trace mineral, because that, I kind of, um, in dealing with clients, when we were doing um, the clients doing ownership, sending their cattle out west, we were doing proper vaccination. We were, I was auditing what they were doing. They were doing it correctly, and we were still having a lot of sickness. And what we found is our caps for sending were very low in copper, zinc, and selenium. So we were able to incorporate an injectable trace mineral uh, multi into the program, giving that at time of vaccination to help. So I'm a big proponent of that because I kind of saw it firsthand and dealt with it firsthand with that. But as far as vaccine program suggestions, the first thing that I – you need to work with your regular um, herd health and come up with a vaccination program. I mean, um, they have the idea of what, what's going on in your herd. They know um, what kind of prevalence is there. We always, I always defer to your regular herd health veterinarian. And there's a lot of things that are kind of core products that a lot of people use. Um, multi-man, um, black leg, um, forward respiratory. But there's other things like Dusty talked about that maybe your veterinarian, you need your veterinarian to put as if you should give it and when you should give it. And a third thing is to write everything down. I always like to, um, I always like to encourage people to not only write everything down, but keep track of the lot numbers of what you use. That can be as easy as taking um, the box tops off and throwing them in a basket and writing the date you gave them. I don't care. I just want access to that. In case we have problems, that's one thing we can go back and look at is we can look at when, what those lot numbers were, and then we can even call the company and say, hey, we may have a problem. Here's the lot numbers. And that makes it a lot – we get a lot better. And another thing, too, is um, – you know, Dusty did talk about modified live. You know, still we talked about they have to have two doses. And a lot of modified lives will say that, too, to give a second dose. And it's not because they, it's a booster dose. It's just because when you give a dose of vaccine and you vaccinate a population of animals, some of them may be fever, not feeling well. They're not on that day. So if you come back three weeks later, two or three weeks later, then you'll um, be able to hit them again and that. So well, that's something that's, you know, kind of important, too, to remember when you're looking at these at these programs. So the main thing, I, you know, I think the thing that we want everybody to lead with today is, one, just because you get a vaccine in the animal doesn't mean it's vaccinated. There's a lot of things that need to happen, and you need to make sure you handle it properly. The nutrition is good and all those kind of things. And I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, working with your veterinarian and coming up with a good program for your herd, you know, making sure it works for you. So, Dusty, is there anything else you wanted to add? I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I, you know, what, what I see is, you know, we can have the greatest intentions, like them old boys putting a transfer needle in the, in the alcohol. They're trying to do a good thing, but 
some good things without some, some good direction on it can lead to some, some unwanted outcomes. Uh, whether it's a transfer needle or, or punching cattle, at, you know, you get a 95 degree day because you have time and you're wanting, we, we all care, we all vaccinate these guys because we care and we want good things out of them. We want healthy animals out of them. But if you pay full price for the vaccine, you might as well get full benefit out of it. And, and just, uh, just doing some things, whether it's ice packs or keeping it out of the sun or making sure your nutrition is right before challenging these guys. You can increase your vaccine response. Well, I think um, we're going to talk. Also, have some questions, but maybe this is a point before. I don't want people to jump off before we announce about next week, because next week we're going to talk about pasture management with Kevin Yon from South Carolina and Dave Hamilton from Nebraska, and it will be next Thursday. It will be at the same time at 8 p.m. So just so you guys kind of put that on your calendar again, and that we have that going. Thank you, Jerry. What did it? Uh, we appreciate you guys coming out and listening. Um, did anyone did anyone have any questions they'd like to ask at this time? Feel free to. I have a question for you, doctors. Uh, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, if you could state your name yeah. and where you're located. Sure, yeah. Uh, I, I'm Josh Sonnenberg. I'm in the northeast part of Colorado. Um, I run two separate programs. I have a commercial cow-calf program, um, and then I have a program of bred whey cows that we're going to wean the calves in about 90 days. And so my question is, I'm going to start working in the multi-men this year, especially on those early weaning calves. Um, but my question was, when I give a five-way and a seven-way at preconditioning, what's your opinion on changing brands when it comes time to give that booster two weeks later? Um, you know, normally I give a Boba Shield Gold with pre-spons and a Scour Boss 7. Would I be ahead to switch to another five-way and a different seven-way uh, two weeks later? Dusty, you want that or Jerry? me? Yeah, Jerry, I'll take it. So, Josh, thanks. So, first of all, thanks for calling in. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you're you're talking about giving the you're talking about vaccinating these calves pre-weaning. Am I correct? Yes, that is correct. Okay. So, first of all, you're. I mean, I'm a I'm a big fan. That I you know I was uh, not really looking at. You know, we, we didn't, I didn't, well, I'm not going to name drop on any vaccine companies or anything that's in it, but I'm a huge fan of a modified live vaccine pre-weaning. Now, you're talking about changing vaccines uh, to a different brand at the booster. Uh, at this point in time, I really, I, I don't know as though you're, you're helping anything by changing brands at your booster, but I don't know if, uh, uh, you're, I definitely know you're not hurting anything, but I'm, I'm not so sure that it justifies uh, a, a purchase for a different brand. Uh, a lot of the van, a lot of the the brands out there, you know, they they all kind of bring their own niche to the table. And I would tell you, people ask me, well, Doc, which which vaccine is your favorite? What vaccine do you want to use? Well, whichever vaccine you're going to use properly and handle properly is the one I'm a fan of. You know, I haven't seen any data that would uh, that would 
make it beneficial for you to change brands at your booster on there. Does, does that uh, does, does that answer your question, well, there, Josh? Yeah, it Justin, does. Uh, oh, go ahead. I would add something else to that, and I think in my experience, if you got to say you had a rip train rat for some reason, they got really sick, and you call your veterinarian, and then I look at your vaccine, and one of the things that I'm going to do is if you use a certain company's vaccine, I'm going to give them a ring and get their technical service involved. If I have two different companies, if you use one for one and one for the other, it's going to be a little more difficult for me to get cooperation with them. Because a lot of the companies, you know, when you call your vet and you're like, I've really had trouble, and he looks at your back and you're having respiratory problems and you're doing diagnostics, it's really nice to have that team approach where you can actually get a tech service vet from that company, whichever company it is, involved at that point. And that's one thing if you're if you're kind of mixing brands, you might have a little difficulty because there's some points that things are at each other a little bit on you. So that would be, and I agree, I totally agree with what Dusty said. I see no accounting to it, and I don't normally do it. But I think on the other end, that would be a disadvantage if you had some issues. <clears throat> well, that rose bush has really busted out in bloom, hasn't it? Yes, it has. <laughs> Yes, it has. Anybody else have any questions? Josh, thank you for that question. Anybody else have any questions? Thanks, Josh. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Yeah, Jerry Jennings uh, in, in Virginia, CAF operator. Uh, why should I uh, – is, is it a big uh, uh, advantage in using both of men, and uh, when, when's the best time to get it? Are you talking in your your? Are you going to talk about your cow camper, your calves, your cows, or you want to talk about it all? We, it's no problem. <laughs> Just covering all. I'm kind of kind of concerned about uh, my calves, wean calves, or um, a lot of times I'll run them through the chute one time before I gain them, and then uh, I go ahead and uh, hit them real good BQA program uh, during weaning. Just a, a, a general opinion. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the protocol that uh, for multi-men, for calves, usually you like to do it at first to get those calves kind of up and going, especially when it has the selenium in it, has the top. Because that animal, that newborn calf, its immune system is, you know, trying to develop. And, that's just, and so that's one of the reasons why when you look on label it, do it. And I, a lot of my clients are doing this at birth. And at two to three months of age, and then we'll do it on the first dose of preconditioning vaccine. Uh, because okay. those calves, they're not getting, they're not getting, like the, the younger calves, they're using a lot of mineral for their use system to develop, but milk, they're drinking it, they're on a milk diet, and milk is a terrible source for those um, trace minerals. It just is very poor. So those calves, if they're born somewhat low, they're just gonna they're gonna plummet, and those calves just aren't going to do well. And there have been multiple um, write-ups about cattle that were vaccinated properly and got really um, weaning or even pre-weaning. Um, using the multi-min will definitely help with your scour incidents and even respiratory problems. You know, younger calves, but it's it's really going to help your immune response in 
you know, your pre-weaning and your weaning protocol. And then on the cows, we also do it because it, it's going to help um, them two ways. One, we're going to do it at your last trimester at some point before that. So usually for a spring calving herd, we'll give it at fall trade check time or, you know, in the fall. And then do it again after they calving but pre-breeding. So the one in the fall is really helping booster that cow's liver stores that go past liver. So when she's gestating in the last trimester, she's going to dump liver or minerals from her liver to the cow. And then that one pre-breeding is going to help conception. Time and time again, multiple university peer-reviewed studies have shown that injectable trace mineral will bump your conception rate. Not only your overall conception rate, but the ones having in the first 21 days. It'll compress your calving distribution. But we all like those calves born in the first 21 days. Those heifers are going to breed, breed earlier. They're going to retain in the herd better. Steers are going to be heavier. And then don't forget about your bull. It's good. It's really important for the bull breeding style. So, no, I, I completely agree. Mr. Jennings, how I look at it, uh, whenever I'm using multi-man, multi-man's biggest areas of influence are in you're in improving the immune response and improving reproduction. And whenever I'm looking at it, using it like what you're talking about on weaning, you know, pre-weaning those calves, the reason you're vaccinating them right then and there is you know that you're about to wean them. Those calves don't know that in two weeks they're going to get weaned. So you're you're trying to stack them, trying to get their immune system built up because you don't want yeah. a whole bunch of pulls and yeah, taking them uh, taking them off the mom. Well, the same thing like what Dr. Jerry just covered there, giving them, injecting them with multi to improve reproduction, pre-breeding. So hitting the pre-breeding and also helping them to uh, uh, not just stack that calf during that last trimester, but also be able to see how to recover. Because in a 90-day period, we're expecting her to drop that calf, drop her after birth, feed that calf, and also breed back from the, the first breeding. And... You can find actually there's a, a lot of information. What I'd also recommend to you, Mr. Jennings, is uh, reach out to your rep there in, in Virginia, and uh, you can find her on multimenusa.com, and uh, she she can uh, uh, give you the the, the reports and the studies that actually puts it into uh, puts puts it in the in the pictures in the words. So if you got any any more questions that you got on that, I I, we know the rep there in Virginia. She's she's straight up, and uh, she can get you set set straight up with it. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Jennings.